I always like the insight about prayer that William Temple gives. He says, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. Uh, that, that's really profound. I want us to turn our Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 4. Book of Hebrews, fourth chapter. And we find a great encouragement about prayer and our high priest. Stand with me as we read our text for this morning. We'll, we'll get back to 1 Timothy. We're ready to close it out. But we're going to look at Hebrews 4 this morning. Picking up at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful that even right now we can come to your throne of grace, that it's always open, that you are waiting for us to come, not timidly, but, but boldly, and to seek you out. And Lord, may we do that more often than we do. Uh, Lord, just give us a heart to do that. Draw us to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. When we look at the ministry of Jesus, when he was living on earth, his ministry was really uh, more that of a prophet. He came to reveal God, and he taught powerfully and with authority. When Jesus returns... In power, he's going to come as a ruler. He's going to rule as a king. And he'll set up a kingdom of righteousness. But right now, Jesus is in glory. He's at God's right hand, and he is ministering as a priest. And this passage tells us so much about our high priest. It's always good to look at just basic things we know, but sometimes we just kind of overlook but let's just take a look at our high priest, Jesus Christ. And we see here in this passage uh, that Paul tells us that we have an intercessor in the person of Christ. In fact, he tells us, tells us some important things about his identity, our high priest. In verse 14, we see here that the Bible says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Now, that can be so easy just to kind of read over and, and, and say, yeah, I know that. It's such a phrase of, a simple phrase, but yet it's a phrase of identity that we really need to stop and take a look at. It tells us about our Savior, our High Priest. Notice what Paul says. He names him Jesus the Son of God. Uh, of course, Jesus means Savior. That identifies his humanity as our Lord and his ministry on earth. That's telling us Jesus was a real 
physical person. He actually existed. He's not a made-up character in a book of fiction. He is a real person. In fact, outside sources of the Bible uh, document that Jesus existed. He's not made up. In fact, even uh, an, an atheist, when they debate a one that's worth his salt, will, will not try to deny that Jesus existed. That's accepted historical fact. He's a real person. Flesh and blood who walked the earth like us. In the gospel accounts, I like Luke. Let's just turn our Bibles to back to Luke 24. Luke chapter 24, verse 36. Here we find one of the resurrection accounts. In Luke 24, verse 36, Luke says, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, supposed that they had seen a spirit. So they thought it was some apparition. It couldn't be real. But Jesus affirms that he is actually physically real. Because it goes on in verse 38. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Uh, so there he is. He's a real person, just like us. He is real. He has a body. He is fully human. And, and, and that's what Paul is telling us in verse 14 of Hebrews. Jesus, the Son of God. So he's saying Jesus, Savior, he is a real person. He was born just like us. Now, he had a few additional things. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. But he was born of a woman just like every person here. He had a physical birth like we do. He lived a physical life. He grew up as a child. He became a young person. Uh, we see him about age 12, age 13, the temple. Then later on we see him as a grown man as he begins his ministry. But he lived a life just like us. And he died on the cross a physical death. And he was resurrected. So Jesus is real, real person. Don't let anybody say that he is not real. He is. But Paul also tells us he is the Son of God. Uh, that title affirms his deity. It tells us the fact that Jesus is God. And in our scripture reading this morning, remember Thomas, his confession... You know, he, he, he was missed the first Sunday evening that Jesus appeared to the disciples. And they told him. But the next, a week later, he was there. And Thomas, when he sees Jesus, he makes that great confession, my Lord and my God. He confesses his deity. Now, we have many today in our world that see Jesus as a real person, but they're not going to take the next step and see him as God. They'll say, well, he's a great teacher. He's a man of wisdom. 
He's a great prophet. That's the perspective of Islam. But he's not God Almighty. They won't go that far. Remember why John wrote his gospel? John told us that these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you might have life through his name. He said, John's telling us these things are written so that you know that Jesus is God. God in the flesh. That through him is life. So any religion, any group that teaches that Jesus is less than God is false, plain and simple. That's the dividing line. So the one who prays for us, who's interceding, is Jesus, the God-man. So we have an intercessor in our high priest, the person of Christ. Now this passage also tells us that we have access to God through our high priest, Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. So notice it's worded that Jesus has passed into the heavens. He's in heaven. He's in the holy place of heaven. Uh, in verse chapter 9 of Hebrews, turn ahead a couple chapters. Chapter 9, verse 11. But Christ being come, a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And then look ahead at verse 24 in the same chapter. For Christ is not entered into the holy place Places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. I mean, those are verses of profound insight. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, in his earthly ministry, he never served as a high priest in the temple? I mean, never once did he officiate as a priest at the brazen altar. Never offered a sacrifice there. Never did Jesus wash his hands in the uh, laver of cleansing. Never did he put on the rich garments of the high priest and, and go into the temple. Never did he stand at the table of showbread or the lampstand or the golden altar of incense. He never did that. Never did he part the veil and go into the Holy of Holies as a high priest in the temple. He didn't stand before the Ark of the Covenant 
and sprinkle blood. He didn't have the proper credentials according to man. But the Bible tells us that the God-man, our high priest, has passed into the heavens. He has stepped into the holy place of heaven. He stands in the presence of God and he presents his own blood once for all of us to redeem us. No human high priest, they had to make that sacrifice over and over. Every day they made sacrifices. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, that high priest would go in and make an offering for the sin of all the people. And they would do that year after year after year for centuries. But Jesus just did it once. That's it. That's all that's needed. Because he is the God-man. Fully human. Fully God. And his position brings us in to God's presence. That's who he is. We also have a high priest that is sympathetic and understands us. We look at verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now John Phillips says this verse shows us the nearness of Jesus. Jesus knows our nature. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to go through a trial or a test of life. And he did it all without sin. That's what I like about Jesus. He's one of us. I mean, he understands us completely. He's the creator. He made us. Who else is going to understand us better than our creator? Who else can understand a child better than the parent? You spend time with them. You raise them. Uh, you know their personality. You understand them. You, you know what kind of food they like, what they don't like. If you don't give them that stuff, they're not going to eat it. You know what they like to wear, where they like to do and go. Well, Jesus knows all that about us and even more. He understands everything. He knows what it's like to be tempted to go through tough times. He went through all that as one of us. And yet without sin. We'll save your place in Hebrews, but I want to turn ahead to 1 John. 1 John 2, towards the end of the Bible. Verse 15. 
John gives us some insight about things that can trip us up. They did not trip up Jesus, but they will trip us up. And the apostle says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. That's how Satan attacked Jesus. He brought all those elements that John mentions in those verses in the temptation account. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is the same tactic Satan used with Eve in Genesis 3, in the Garden of Eden. The serpent comes to Eve and tempted her with the lust of the eyes because Genesis tells us that she saw the tree was pleasant to the eye. It was a good-looking tree. And then the lust of the flesh, and she saw that it was good for food. And then the pride of life, she saw that it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. And of course, we know what she did. She walked away. No, she ate it, didn't she? <laughs> and here we are. I'm safe you guys are paying attention. Well, Jesus was tempted the same way. Devil shows up, and he's gone through 40 days and nights of fasting. And he says, Jesus, why don't you turn these stones to bread? And of course, Mary, Jesus answered, it is written. Man does not live by bread alone. And then the Satan takes him, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he says, I'll give you these if you worship me. Lust of the eyes. Jesus answered, it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God only. And then Satan took him, put him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said, If you're really the Son of God, why don't you jump and let your angels bear you up? Prove it. And Jesus answered, It is written, Thou shalt not test the Lord thy God. That's the pride of life. You see, Jesus knows temptation. He knows what it's like when we stand and face those things. He knows testing. He knows our struggle. He walks with us every day, and he identifies with it. He's been there. One of the dangers of the office of president and being a congressman or a senator is I think sometimes they become distant from what it's like to be an ordinary person living an ordinary life. I mean, they got a different insurance. They have different retirement. Some of them don't even know how to drive. I mean, they're just chauffeured everywhere.
They live different lives than what we live and become disconnected. Not Jesus. He knows everything about our walk every day. He knows what it's like. He knows our needs. And he's the best one to share with as our high priest because he understands completely. It doesn't matter. We might think, well, my need is unique. Well, he knows what it is. He really does. He understands every need, every experience. He knew how the leper felt, had compassion. He's the one that saw that widow of Nain and realized that her only son had died and he went to her he's the one that saw the woman at the well and knew her need for living water he's the one that saw the cripple at the pool of Bethesda and knew that he was longing to get in those water when it was troubled that he could be healed He's the one that saw the blind man born blind from birth that was placed there for the glory of God in John 9. He knew that Zacchaeus needed to see him, that this was a man who was an outcast. And he made him part of his family. Oh yeah, he knows our needs. No matter what it is, he knows it. He's a sympathetic high priest. Then the Bible tells us we can go to God's throne because of our high priest. We look at verse 16. There were exhorted, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Notice that word, therefore. That's pointing us back to all that has been said in the previous verses. Therefore, because of the fact we have a great high priest, that we have a priest that is in heaven, that we have a high priest who is Jesus, the Son of God, that we have a high priest who is touched with all it means to be human, that we have a high priest who has never sinned. And because of that, we can go to the throne of grace boldly. John MacArthur says the one who understands us perfectly will also provide for us perfectly. Now what's exciting is we can come boldly to the perfect provider. People of high rank can be difficult to approach. I mean, none of us are going to be able to travel to Washington, D.C. and walk into the Oval Office and see the President. 
That's not going to happen. And in the ancient world, rulers were unapproachable by the common people. In fact, some would not even allow their high-ranking officials to approach them unless they're given permission or called. Uh, we see Queen Esther, that uh, she couldn't even approach her own husband, the king, unless he called. And, and so uh, she did an extraordinary thing when she, she risked her life to go in before the king. What a wonderful story that is. But yet the Bible tells us because of Jesus, that any low-down scumbag can come into God's presence. Any sinner can come into his presence. That any great sinner can come into his presence. Any worm, any wretch can come into God's presence and approach him anytime for forgiveness. Let us therefore come boldly. Uh, and that's a great phrasing because when we look at the verb tense, that tells us we can come as often as we want. Not just one time. It's not a one-shot experience. It's an everyday deal. It's an every-minute deal. Every moment. As many times as we want. God, Jesus taken God's throne, throne of judgment, and he's made it a throne of grace. I love Romans 8. I love Paul writes there in verse 32. Romans 8, verse 32. Paul says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that has risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. You see, Jesus never fails to intercede for us. If we got up this morning and forgot to pray, Jesus did not. He's interceding right now. I like that story in the book of Exodus, where uh, Israel's fighting against Amalek in the wilderness, and Moses tells Joshua to go out there and defeat him. And Moses would stand on the hill and he'd have the rod of God and hold his hands up. And if you remember, as long as Moses held his hands up, Joshua would prevail. But the minute he dropped his hands, Amalek would begin to win. You ever tried holding your hands up for a long time? Go put up a shower curtain. 
Now about the tenth run. Glad this thing's done. Moses had to have Aaron and her come and hold up his hands. For we have a high priest in heaven who never wearies, never grows weak, and he's upholding us in all our weakness, always, every moment, every day. I breathe the Old Testament. They had to go through a lot of ritual before they ministered. They'd have to get up and they'd have to bathe properly. They'd have to put on the proper clothes in a proper sequence. They'd have to go make a proper sacrifice for themselves. Then they would go through a procedure as they'd step into the holy place. and then into the Holy of Holies and take that offering and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And he couldn't stay there and look around. He just went in, did it quickly. He couldn't enjoy the glory and bask in that moment. And then he stepped out. But us? We can come anytime, any condition we are in, at any moment, at for multiple times, stay as long as we want before the throne. And not with fear. Boldly. And walk away with mercy and grace. Anyone can come. John Newton's amazing grace that saved a wretch like me went to the throne of grace. The Apostle Paul, chief of sinners, went to the throne of grace. Rahab, the harlot, found grace and was redeemed. David, stupendous failures, went to the throne of grace, was forgiven. Peter, who denied his Savior at a critical moment, went to the throne of grace and was forgiven by his Lord. Anyone can go, anytime, any moment. We just need to be a people who are there more often. Not neglected. Carrie, we'll bring you back up as we sing Jesus Paid It All. God's throne of grace is open. The altar's here if you need to come and pray and just step into his presence and give whatever you need to him. He's ready. He's waiting. Come boldly. Let's stand as we sing. Jesus paid it all.